1: Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, March 31st, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, Joined today by Bart Mellick, Global Head of Commodity Market Strategies at TD Securities. Welcome, Bart. Let's take a real quick look uh, at what's happening right now in markets. Obviously, last day of the fiscal quarter, first losing quarter since the pandemic. Let's take a look because it's been a down day in general. Dow Jones Industrial Average off about 1.56%. Final print here on the day looks like 34,677. S&P 500 also off on the day, exact same percentage, one spot, five, six, uh, closing out the day uh, to at 4,350. NASDAQ off 1.54. So market's basically moving in lockstep here, closing out the day, final print on NASDAQ, 14,220. Lots to talk about, lots of stories happening in the energy sector. Bart, welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing, your first time on the show. It's a pleasure to have you.
2: Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: So, Bart, lots of news happening right now in energy markets. U.S. releasing 1 million barrels uh, from the strategic reserve. Uh, oil prices moving around a bit. Big picture, Bart, where are we right now?
2: Well, look, we had a bit of a correction today, some 6% or so. And that's on the news, I think, in part because- uh, we're seeing the the U.S. government releasing that 1 million barrels that you mentioned. Um, uh, we're we're also thinking that perhaps uh, OPEC will continue to increase supply by some 400,000 barrels. Uh, you know, this is what they're saying. We'll see for sure what is happening uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, uh, ultimately, I think the reserve release uh, is probably not enough. Uh, that strategic reserve will get. Quite lean as we move um, uh, into you know the second half of uh, of 2022, and I- I'm certainly making the assumption that the sanctions on Russian supply will continue. Uh, we of course have no idea what is happening on the negotiation side, uh, you know, aside from what is reported in the media. But chances are that these sanctions uh, are going to be here for a while, and of course Russia. Exports roughly five million barrels equivalent a day of supply. Uh, when you account for that shortfall, um, there are very few opportunities, at least in the interim that I see, that can replace that crude. Yes, the U.S. government has, uh, you know, dipped into its reserves, and that's going to you know, certainly help some. Uh, but if we do see even stricter sanctions and oil will not make um, its way into the refineries uh, as it did you know, just a, a few months ago, uh, then moving past the third, into third quarter and into fourth quarter, if demand continues uh, to run at the current rate of about 2 million barrels a day. Uh, we will see a, a tight market, and I think we will continue to see risk being priced in and uh we we certainly expect for the next quarter or, or two uh to have crude trading above $100 uh beyond that uh you know things should improve uh, of its capital flows into uh, supply formation uh, but still probably it's going to take a while to um, to compensate or refill all those inventories we've uh, we're going to bleed
1: yeah well, that's very well framed in terms of the big picture of what's happening here. You touched on price. Let's run through those numbers uh, real quick. So, uh, oil, WTI, WTI, this is May 22 contract CL1 on the New York Merck, uh, trading at 100 bucks spot seven, three cents right now. So, hovering right around uh, the $100 a barrel level on WTI. Uh, that's off about 6.6% on the day. Uh, coming over to uh, ice Brent crude May 22 contracts on the Intercontinental Exchange in Europe. Um, this is LCO one uh, trading right now at one hundred seven spot 29. This, of course, is the global price uh, of oil. Off on the day five point four percent. So a little bit more movement, uh, perhaps as one might expect from a U.S. strategic petroleum reserve release uh, on the WTI number, the number that's benchmarked for U.S. Uh, oil prices. You know. It's curious, you talk about this big picture, the framework uh, for the US Strategic Petroleum Reserve release. In the past, uh, historically, I remember dating back whatever it is, some number of months, uh, when the US released uh, petroleum from the reserve, there was this paradoxical impact where price uh, went up. Rather than down, markets somewhat balking. You know, this really brings up the point that you framed so eloquently, which is this question of how much of an impact does the Strategic Petroleum Reserve really make when there are a release? I mean, this looks like kind of an eyedropper in a bathtub, doesn't it?
2: Well, maybe not exactly uh, an eyedropper, but U.S. consumes some 20 million barrels a day, you know, give or take. Uh, and There's some seasonal variability. Uh, 1 million barrels of additional supply. Is material because, you know, after all, all commodities and assets tend to trade on the margin. And if this market was short 750,000 barrels a day, uh, this would be material and would have a very large adjustment than a sustainable one. However, uh, we're talking a potentially significantly bigger uh, deficits going forward, and much will depend on how the politics unfolds here. You know, how quickly Russia is going to be able to move crude destined for European markets into the Asian markets, uh, you know, we don't think that's going to be as quick or as robust as people think. You, you've got a lot of geography and a lot of infrastructure that will need to be uh, constructed for you know, those flows to be redirected, as I think are, some are expecting. So this is a long-term project. I think for the next three to six to nine months, it is going to be very tough uh, to increase supply materially uh, from both sides. On the demand side, oil is price inelastic. You know, once you have a, a, a vehicle that consumes X amount, uh, you're probably not getting a new one you know, anytime soon. So you're just going to, you, know, you have to use it. You're not going to ship to transit quickly. You, that might not exist. Um, and on the supply side, it takes a while to build new capacity. Uh, so we're, we're, we're kind of stuck. And if Russian oil doesn't come back, which it is unlikely to, this market is going to be
1: fairly tight. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's like a pint glass in a bathtub.
2: <laughs> yes, maybe. Maybe that's, uh, that's probably more accurate.
1: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. So,
1: you talk about this—the this sort of the structural picture uh, for oil. You mentioned the inelasticities on the supply side, on the demand side. Uh, what do you look at to understand where these uh, prices are moving, where demand and supply are, uh, other than obviously just the price of front-month contracts?
2: Well, we, we certainly look at the aggregate global economic picture. You know, where U.S. economy is moving. and and very importantly, we look at Asia and we look at China. And yeah. you know, part of the reprieve that we're seeing in oil today, of course, you know, the SPR announcement and the OPEC announcement are, of course, important. But on the demand side, let's remember, uh, Shanghai is in lockdown, uh, and you know, that is probably as much as one million barrels a day of of demand, uh, which is going to come back. Which you know, as we move uh, past the pandemic crisis. Um, in um, China, that is going to very much negate what the Biden administration has done with the SPR. And I think that's very key to remember. We've already seen pretty significant downgrades of, of demand, uh, but I'm not so sure we're going to continue to you know, have demand destruction anytime soon. So we're going to see uh, demand you know, continue firm uh, by historical standards and supply, as, as I said before. Um, having a difficult time uh, increasing, and you know, even more as importantly, inventory levels will be whittled down. Now, certainly, the OECD inventory levels are as low as they were in 2008 to 2014, where crude was over uh, hundred dollars. And if you know Russian crude doesn't come back, uh, and you know, which we think it doesn't in any meaningful way, uh, then those inventories get lower. And typically speaking, uh, as inventories relative to total demand decline. Uh, that means volatility rises and upside risk increases. So any negative news, anything you know, traders might see across their screen that points to some sort of supply risk could could have the potential to spiking crude again. Uh, that's what we look at. One, and of course, we also look at uh, what um, uh, algos are doing. We very daily close CTA. Uh, we have an algorithm that tracks. Uh, what these folks do and tries to predict uh, where they're going. And of course, we look at technical signals as well.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the global demand picture, uh, GDP growth. What's your baseline outlook for where we are right now uh, on a global basis for GDP growth for 2022?
2: Well, I think GDP growth is probably consistent with 2 million barrels, 2.2 2 million barrels of demand growth for uh, 2022, which is a very robust number. Uh, that's been downgraded from over from around 3 million um, uh, before the Russian um, uh, development, and, and that's, that's taking into account that you know, Russian economy is going to tank. Probably European economy is not going to perform anywhere near uh, strongly as strongly uh, as it was prior to this conflict, and, and certainly, we're going to see an impact in America as well, uh, where uh, there will be, um, you know, I, I think, a material impact on consumer. But spending broadly, because the money that you are s- going to spend on discretionary goods, uh, on s- travel services and things of that nature, now you're going to have to plunk down and put it in your tank and uh, and uh, spend at the grocery store as well. Um, and that's, you know, the other aspect of, uh, of, of energy prices, food prices, fertilizer, uh, which is a, a key element in, in food production, have all spiked uh, as well because of this Russia. Uh, conflict and of course, big input for nitrogen fertilizer urea is um, natural gas, and you know much of this is produced in, in Europe. And those prices have spiked, so this has ripple effects through the entire economy here.
1: Are we still seeing snapback effects from the reopening trade, or is this uh, moving into a new phase? In your view, as you do this estimation and analysis for energy consumption,
2: I think we're pretty much
1: you know price things in. Uh, At this point, it's been
2: long enough, I suspect.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of uh, other points. I know you cover commodities more broadly. Uh, Talk to us a little bit on where you are, like, for example, with base metals, uh, which also have obviously significant tie ins to uh, aggregate global uh, GDP.
2: Sure. Uh, Base metals, Typically, should be slowing down quite significantly uh, in this portion of the cycle. Uh, they are now, uh, you, you know, we we're we're seeing the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world, uh, you know, voicing a, a much more hawkish narrative. So we are uh, at the start of a tightening cycle, and you know, who knows how how much this is going to be? Probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, true to to what the Fed dots have, have said, other central banks as well, um, and. China has slowed down as well because of of the pandemic. Uh, And we're seeing all sorts of supply chain issues uh, and logistic issues uh, around the world. Uh, But commodity prices on the base metal side have done very, very well, much better than I think many have expected. And those are negative supply shocks here. Uh, For example, the sky high. Energy prices in Europe and in China, uh, you know, last year basically meant that energy had to be redirected to consumers and other industries and away from smelting. Uh, the pandemic has prevented mining activity, so there have been pretty significant impacts all over this the the base metal space. In aluminum, it's a very energy-intensive metal, um, and we see that as in a very sharp, uh, very deep deficit. Uh, this year, and it's been trading much, much higher than we have expected. So same with nickel. Uh, and uh, let's, trade, let's, let's add another element to it. Russia is a big exporter of aluminum and nickel. Yeah. Uh, so the base metal, we do think, move off the highs. But we're not going to see a correction uh, as, as deep as we would normally expect when the cycle is tightening on the monetary side,
1: and economic growth is, is moderating. Yeah, Bart. Now that you mention it, not to turn too fine a point on it, but what the hell is happening in nickel market?
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I can answer that uh, with you know with with any level of of confidence.
1: I'm not sure anybody can.
2: Um, you know, we we we've had interruption of uh, uh, of, of trading. We we had you know the. I guess, you know, in other worlds, we call it force majeure where trades were invalidated. And I think that's as much as I want to say about that because I frankly, you know, don't want to delve into exactly what happened and what triggered because it would be just speculation on my part.
1: I'm gonna have to buy you a pint the next time uh, you're in town and get the off-the-record answer because I'm sure you have thoughts. It's, I mean, it's just been such a surreal, uh, sort of dislocated market uh, to watch, and I think that there are, as exactly as you suggest, just an incredible number of open questions about what's happening there.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's. I can say one thing. I think for many participants in the market, uh, it is disturbing. Um, or, or at least a bit of alarm has to be sounded uh, among you know, uh, credit people and risk management folks uh, when, when these type of things happen. Uh, because if this happens, uh, whether valid or not, the questions are going to arise, what other markets can be interrupted in this way? Uh, yes, you know some markets are more liquid than others, and there are a lot of reasons to say why one, partic- you know, one particular market had this done with it. Uh, but but I think it raises the risk profile broadly um, uh, for all markets, uh, and and I, I think you know uh, makes us think that uh, prudence is probably uh, order of the day from from in these these days if, if things like that uh, are, are are happening.
1: Yeah, very well said. Uh, Talking of base metals, moving on from base metals to precious metals, uh, gold right now trading at $1,937 an ounce. Uh, What are your thoughts on the gold market? It's obviously been uh, an interesting few weeks there.
2: Uh, We've been quite out of consensus on on, on gold for a while. We've been positive. Um, and, And the main reason here is this. We ultimately think, I think, that the Federal Reserve is Continuing to be behind the, the curve here, and they will probably continue to be so uh, for at least the next three to six months. Uh, why? Well, we've got inflation, you know, around eight percent or so. Uh, we have grain prices skyrocketing. We have fertilizer prices skyrocketing. Sixty one percent of the CPI components out of the two hundred are five percent plus uh, year on year. Uh, even higher proportion of two percent plus. So this is an aggregate inflation problem. And even if you believe that the Fed will do exactly what its what its dots are implying, in real terms, the Fed funds is still quite negative. Uh, and it will continue right. to be so. Um, you know, I don't know where the neutral rate or the terminal rate should be, but I'm pretty sure it's not two and a half. It's probably higher. And and I think, you know, at this point, uh, uh, central banks- this,
1: this is the, by the way, for folks who may not know, this is the rate that you're talking about where effectively uh, it is neither inflationary nor deflationary, uh, the natural neutral policy rate, sometimes called R star by economists, this idea of the rate at which basically things are flat.
2: Yes. So- the question is, when inflation is in the aggregates, you know, Nelson Friedman and folks who are predisposed that way will say it's really a monetary phenomenon. Uh, and I think it negates the argument that this is very much a phenomenon that has a lot of transitory properties. And what does that mean? You know, in normal person talk, it means that it may not come down as quickly as people think, uh, particularly since food is of the index and food is probably going to be, you know, uh, quite high in that to inflation. I know that's not policy uh, related quite often because we're looking at core PCE, uh, but that does, you know, your normal American household cares about food and fuel because. Yeah, people eat and they have to drive, so, so yeah. it is material, and that's what drives wage demands and and, and other things, uh, and and government budgets for uh, social programs and, and 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 so on. So we like going yeah. mainly because we think the Fed will remain behind the curve. Ultimately, you know, we do believe that the Fed will discover religion, if you like, uh, essentially once they decide that the negatives, particularly for the lower. End of the income distribution uh, are are more you know inflation impact is more negative than a slower economy. Uh, then I think they get uh, more aggressive. But we could certainly see more heroic action from the Fed. Maybe you know a couple of fifties and see where it where it takes us and where the rudder takes us. Um, but it's going to be tough to get restrictive uh, quickly. Uh, you know they certainly can't don't want to. Be too restrictive, too quick, I think they're going to play it by ear. They do know about the elasticities of, of, of all this, and um, only real solution is to slow the economy down. And I think they're going to try to do the best for American, you know, Americans uh, they can, uh, meanwhile, you know, slow things down just enough so they can control inflation, but not so much that it uh, affects negatively um, your average household.
1: Yeah, by the way, PCE, personal consumption expenditures, this is the measure preferred uh, by the Fed, core meaning ex-food and energy, uh, right now at 5.4% from a percent change uh, from one month a year earlier. This is February 2022 uh, number. By the way, this has lagged pretty dramatically, CPI, which is at 7.9%, and PPI, FD, the final demand for producer price index, now in the double digits.
2: Yeah, you know, certainly, I think there is, you know, good probability that we'll see that higher. Um, the Fed, I think, in the last FOMC is talking about a four point six percent target for that metric uh, this year. You know, we'll see. Uh, they have a two handle of for for that inflation measure uh, next year. Well, we will see, and the year after that, you know, uh, they're very close to target of two percent. And again, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I would bet that inflation may be with us at higher levels uh, for longer. Um, and, and that's not a bad story for gold. Uh, but once we start getting restricted, and the market is convinced that the Federal Reserve will sort of pull a Volcker on us here, um, that, uh, that gold will, will 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 move lower. We don't expect a route, because we don't think they're as committed as Mr. Volcker uh, would be. Uh, and I don't think we're, we're we're quite there yet. But ultimately, in order to control inflation, rates have to rise. And they probably have to rise a little bit more than the market is, uh, is pricing. And uh, um, a slow start is good for gold. As this accelerates, it'll probably mean a correction
1: from the highs. But we could still get 2,000 plus over the next three months or so. Hey, by the way, do you guys over at TD Securities have a price target on gold right now? Uh, we do,
2: actually. Uh, we, you know, I, I forecast quarterly uh, averages, I, I think, um, uh, 1975 1950 for this quarter, and, and moving it um, down um, uh, as the year ends.
1: We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.
1: By the way, for those of you just joining us, we've been talking not surprisingly about oil and now about inflation. Uh talking of which, I just wanted to cut very quickly uh to a clip. Uh surging oil and in infl- inflation may outlast the war. Uh this comes to us from Ch- Tracy Shukart, hosted by uh Michael Nicoletto's on Real Vision on Every Tier Essential Plus and Pro. Let's take a look at that clip right now.
3: So, obviously, um We have initiated sanctions on Russia, although technically speaking, there are no real energy sanctions yet. There are some banks sanctioned, but there's no real sanctions against energy. The problem is now we're seeing a bunch of self-sanctioning where um, banks don't want to give guarantees, um, ships can't get insurance. Um, So we're seeing those a lot of, we're seeing about uh 1.5 million barrels taken off the market so far in crude oil and about a million barrels in uh product right now that said many of the orders for march were already ordered before the uh, the invasion so really we're going to have to look to april and may to see really how many barrels are being taken off the market and so of course that's giving um that's giving you know keep kind of keeping up floor under uh oil at this point. And then we also have a bunch of other geopolitical issues going on right now with um, some uh, drone attacks and ballistic missiles from the Houthis in Saudi Arabia right now. And then uh, looking at Libya, uh, Libya can't get financing right now. So um, the world is uh, a little tenuous right now, as far as the crude oil markets are concerned.
1: So Tracy Shukar talking oil, geopolitics, and sanctions. Uh, Bart, generally speaking, big picture, what's your view on the current uh, geopolitical situation and on the sanction potential for escalating?
2: Well, you know, I think first of all we can say it's it's a big, big mess. Uh, horrible things are happening in Ukraine and to the Ukrainian people. Yes. Um, ultimately. For what it's worth, it's probably the only thing we can do is uh, apply sanctions against uh, Russia and um, and so far their banking sector. Uh, do I think that this is going to escalate some more? I think for the time being, we're probably not going to directly hit the oil and the natural gas sector because the dislocation uh, fear is is probably too great for the European consumers who are you know. Uh, hopelessly dependent on on those energy sources uh, from from Russia, uh, but I think uh, the screws can tighten with um, more Russian institutions, financial institutions being squeezed on the swift and, and hitting particular uh, individuals and and potentially selective um, uh, energy supplies here. Um, you know, but of course, my hope is that this gets settled and. Uh, And there is a full withdrawal, and uh, ultimately, I suspect these sanctions are going to stay around for a long time. uh, Because if if they don't, then the regime in Moscow would be seen as to be rewarded by this action, Um, and and of course, uh, probably not what uh, political powers in the Western world want to see.
1: Yeah. I want you to jump over and take some questions because they're coming in fast and thick. I know this is your first time on the show. We get fantastic questions from our viewers. Uh, This one comes to us uh, from Slunky on YouTube. And the question is, boy, this is a great question and one that I've been wondering myself. It's in two parts. Uh, First, how might a ceasefire affect oil market volatility? And would you expect a swift recovery uh, to similar $100 levels considering supply-side fundamentals? Great question from Slunky.
2: Well, we've already seen this uh, uh you know before I went on holidays a couple of weeks ago I guess now uh, we've seen talk of uh you know some sort of detente and uh, uh you know negotiations and the result there was that the risk premium on crude uh, was taken off, so uh, yes, if we see some promising Discussions between uh, Ukraine and Russia about a ceasefire and you know, potential withdrawal—that uh, I, I think would easily take five to ten dollars up the price. Uh, I don't think that would probably be enough, uh, given the fact that we believe that sanctions will stay here. I think a portion of that would return, and indeed, uh, you know, this is what we're kind of projecting for the third and fourth quarter.
1: Yeah. Uh, talking of detente, here's a question that comes to us from Johnny Kay from the Real Vision site. Ah, uh, Johnny wants an update on the Iran nuclear deal. How do you think about the Iran nuclear deal? What's its significance, and how does it impact markets globally?
2: Well, my understanding is that um, the Iran deal, which is ironically negotiated by Russia, I don't know how things like that, uh, uh, but you know, it's not—it's uh, above my pay grade to uh, comment on the politics here. But but the oil uh, sector, at least initially, would not benefit a huge amount. Maybe Iran has some. 200 to 250,000 barrels of capacity that it can deploy globally. Uh, another million, million and a half within a year or so. Uh, there's some inventories that they've been accumulating they can put in. Uh, I, I think there would be a, an impact, but probably not a huge one in the short run. And that gets us back to the you know bit about elasticities. It, it takes a while. Uh, Miraculously, logistics and tankers and, and transportation routes aren't going to materialize. and It's still not all that certain that uh, uh, bankers want to finance any of that material uh, for now anyway. So it, it's going to take a while to bring it uh, to full fruition here. Uh, but yeah, over, over you know, six to nine months to a year, uh, we could see another million barrels uh, from Iran getting us close to uh, what their levels uh, prior to the sanctions were. Um, I have no superior knowledge of what is being negotiated. It's just my understanding that they're they're close, and uh, uh, that's that's as much as I can uh, tell. And if that deal happens, uh, then those are the implications on the supply side. I think.
1: By the way, that million barrel—the basis for that statement—is barrels per day.
2: Yes, that that's correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Here's a question that comes to us from Ralph Humphrey from the Real Vision website. Uh, Does Bart have any views on uh, coffee, soybeans, wheat, cocoa, any of the soft commodities? You mentioned food a bit earlier. What's your thinking about that space?
2: Uh, You know, my only expertise is as a consumer when I overpay for expensive lattes. I, I something I can't really comment on.
1: Well, we're all in that position right now of overpaying for just about everything. It feels like food prices are something that uh, you know. It's you, you don't have to be uh, watching financial markets very closely to see that the price of a you know of a of a sandwich is going up. It's pretty dramatic.
2: Yes, I, I think you know you're seeing the same thing in the supermarket as well. Uh, but it does make sense. Food prices uh, tend to lag fertilizer prices and energy prices, and uh, when we plant our, our grain. Um, in the spring now, uh, farmers will be faced with much, much higher potash prices, nitrogen prices, uh, phosphates, uh, and sorry, and, and other fertilizers, uh, and fuel uh, to plow the land, to transport um, um, the final product and uh, inputs around. Uh, we're going to see that. Uh, probably, it means also that some farmers. Are likely to plant less or different crops because they're not going to be as fertilizer intensive, and that means we could see lower yields per per acre, and that means you know on the margin less food supply uh, and higher prices. And there are scarcities, uh, particularly poorer parts of the world and poorer parts of the U.S. public, and you know just people generally um, will 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 have a food security problem. I think. And uh, that is a very, very unfortunate side effect of this. So it's it's a lot more than just academics and and traders talking about markets. This has a real impact on real people um, and uh, what they pay for food and how much and the quality of food they consume.
1: Yeah, extremely well said. Particularly for someone who doesn't follow the soft commodities closely, that's a a pretty sobering thought.
2: Yes, and uh, and and we're we're, and we're going to see that. um, and this will, in the end, uh, impact how much the public spends on other goods. And and, and certainly, it remains a very good possibility uh, that this means that economic growth uh, will be slower than it would have been otherwise. Yeah,
1: Bart, fantastic conversation. We're going to have to have you back on Real Vision Daily Briefing. I really enjoyed this. As we come to the conclusion of this conversation, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with.
2: I think the key takeaway here is look very carefully at the Federal Reserve, um, what is happening in Ukraine, um, and uh, follow the the economy. Um, and I think if one uh, looks at the broader market and uh, is well informed, they can pro- 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 one can probably react uh, well. Um, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the end of my
1: wisdom here. <laughs> well, very well said and very well framed. Bart, I hope we can do this again soon. Thanks for joining. Right. Thank you so much. Was and thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Maggie Lake will be back tomorrow with, you guessed it, Rao Powell. Thanks again for watching.
0: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this,